All right, everybody, you've got quiet a lot more quickly than normal, so I guess we'll go and get started. Maybe everybody's still recovering from too much eating over a Christmas break, but this week we're going to continue in the series we're doing for a few weeks on the Great Command, and it's the Great Command with a second that is like it. And so we can really super overcomplicate what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and what it means to be a part of the kingdom of Christ. But when it all boils down to it, Jesus said, it's love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So when life gets complex, when life gets tricky, when you're confused, what do I need to do today? What would it look like for me to follow Jesus? Jesus, Jesus narrows it down here for us. Am I going to reorient my life around the love of God and the love of others? Now, that is not necessarily easy to do, but Jesus very clearly makes that our calling. And so we wanted to take a, a few weeks. I think I'm getting a lot of feedback. I don't know if anything can be done to help that. We want to take a few weeks to just acknowledge that and to call ourselves to that in this new year. I'm sure that a lot of, many, how many churches probably this morning are doing some sort of corny sermon on 2020 vision, right? Right, it's 2020. But, but really, if we want to lean into that a little bit, 2020, what does it mean to have a clear vision for following Jesus, for being his people, for what he says is the good life? It's to love him and to love others. It doesn't matter how much knowledge we have. It doesn't matter the titles we may bear. It doesn't matter the possessions that we have, the success that we might obtain. Apart from these, we've missed it all. And so today we're going to look at loving our neighbor as ourself. We're going to read this parable of the Great Samaritan that Jesus gives us, uh, the Good Samaritan that is, to help us see what that is like. So, uh, is it working? On to the next one. There we go. Thank you, Chris. All right, so Luke 10, 25. If you have your Bible, want to read along on the screen? And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Pretty big question. He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And that question prompts this parable. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, about as opposite from a Levite and a priest as you could get, someone that this lawyer may have even derogatorily called a dog and other racial slurs, but a Samaritan as he journeyed came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. 
He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now Jesus asked a question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. I want to read from Mark 12, from last week's reading. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And 1 John 4, 19 and 20. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have loved us. We pray, God, asking you today to free us from the lies that tell us that we are unable to be loved, but also that we are unable to love. Father, we pray now that your truth would set us free from the lies, the world, the flesh, and the devil that we maybe have some type of personality, some type of past, some type of preference, some, something, whatever it is in our life that excludes us or disempowers us from the good life that you have called us to live, a life of love and being loved. Help us today, God. To love our neighbor as you've loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? If you know the Beatles, you know that's from a song called Eleanor Rigby, and it's a song that talks about people who live their lives in loneliness. And particularly, that is a lady who died, her, died in loneliness. She died in the church and was buried along with her name but nobody came. And this is not just a song, an oldie. This is a reality. In England, they're called public health funerals. Thousands of people die every year with nobody. I sent a message to one of my friends who works at a funeral home here in town and asked him, do you, do you guys ever do funerals where like there's nobody for that person, like nobody that cares for them, they're just kind of left on their own. And he said, yeah, sadly, that's something that happens. I can't remember the formal name that, that he said that it was called, indigent maybe or indigent, I can't remember. But basically, this is the reality. There are people that we are surrounded by 
on our streets, in our neighborhoods, at our workplaces, and however it may appear, they have nobody. There are people in this city, in this county, in this area who will die alone and who right now they are living alone. They're all surrounded by people. They're surrounded by houses. Singles, seniors, married, children. And they're our houses. They're our apartments. Maybe our dorm rooms. Because sometimes people are living with people, but they're still living alone. But we have received a gospel that tells us from the very beginning, from coming out of this Christmas season, as, as I, I think Eugene Peterson really does translate this well, every, whatever issues you may have with the message, that, in the, that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. Translating John Morphine, and God became flesh, and he moved into the neighborhood. Jesus didn't just physically come close to us. He presently embodied His being, His existence, His person in our lives, in our stories. And in the great commandment summary of all the commands, you might think Jesus, He was just asked, what's the greatest one? The question He was asked is, just give us one, Jesus. And the one was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But Jesus was discontent. He was unwilling to not give a second that is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. All throughout the story of God, from the very beginning, there is this inseparable reality that you cannot love God and not love other people. That God chose as the overflowing of His own being to not even just exist in a, in a triune perfect relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but He wanted neighbors. He called them from the very beginning to multiply and fill the earth. When Jesus sees a crowd of people, He doesn't say, I want to go run and hide. He says, I love them. I want them to all be loved, to be known, to belong. It's not my design that there would be one Eleanor Rigby. And I'm going to redeem and save a people who I'm going to send out on that mission. There are many wounds probably in this room right now that makes it very hard for you to maybe want to love other people. Maybe good reason why you would think, I just want to hide. When, good reason, maybe, based on your story, why when you see the crowd, you want to crawl under the rock. There are idols, though, also at play. When you see people, you see the potential of a losing control. When you see people, you see the potential that maybe they won't like me. When you see people, maybe you see a threat to your comfort. 
when you see people, maybe you see competition. Maybe you see a threat. Not just in terms that they might harm you, but they may be better than you in some way. We live in a world, sadly, where even some who follow Jesus would have a gut reaction to think, I'm just not really a people person. And the Lord doesn't meet us in that place that I've been and we may all be wanting to condemn us. Wanting to just weigh us down with more guilt. But he wants to free us for what it means for us to live life to the full. From those wounds, from those idols, and from those lies that tell us, that's just not how I am. To believe that it is God who tells us who we are. It is God who in the great command and a second like it tells us what it means to be the people he's created us to be. Now you can do that as an introvert or as an extrovert, as whatever maybe number on some personality test that you've been given. Last week we talked about being alone with God, silence and solitude and stillness. And there's some of you who are in here who are like, yes. And there, there's others last week that were like, no, that's really hard for me. There's others of you in here this week who are going to say to love God means you've got to be with people. And that's going to be hard for you. But whichever side of that donkey that you are tempted to fall off of based on your personality and your story, is we must believe that what God calls us to do flows out of the identity that He gives us that trumps any personality description that we may want to put on ourselves. And the spirit that He gives us gives us the power and the possibility to reorient our lives around the love of our neighbors. So we're not going to uh, exegete every, uh, every word in the parable of the Great Samaritan, but in, in view of this series and its purpose, we're going to ask a few questions that it asks. And the first one is, who is my neighbor? And Jesus also answers this almost in a way of, am I a kingdom neighbor? It's the first question in this parable. So Jesus confronts a man who wants to define who his neighbor is on his own terms. So if you don't get anything out of what's going on here, this is the big point. Everyone in here might say, yeah, I'll love people if I get to pick who those people are. I'm going to pick the people that I will love, and then I'm going to walk by the people that I don't really want to love. So the lawyer asked this big question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's really just another way of saying, what shall I do to be a part of the kingdom of God? It's not merely something of just some future-oriented thing, but what, what do I need to do to enter, to experience, to inhabit the life that God gives? And Jesus answers and affirms the answer. It's this loving God and loving your neighbor. This is what reveals your heart. He didn't say, well, you memorized the whole Old Testament. He, he, he didn't say you attend temple X amount of times. He puts it on love. And this lawyer wants to justify himself. 
And so he asked this question to limit who he has to love with, well, who's my neighbor? We see it was a test, so we know that it wasn't from a place, and he tells him this parable. I want to read this parable again. But I want you to read it now, and I want you to, to place yourself in this story. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So, so we notice that the Levite and the priest see this man who's lying half dead in the ditch. Now, a Levite and a priest, if you don't know this, these would have been religious leaders within the people of Israel, the people of God. It would have been their role to, to act, as it were, as a mediator of the grace of God, of the truth of God, of the presence of God for God's people. And they, they would have been people that people would have looked to and said, this is what it looks like to be a part of God's kingdom, to be a part of God's rule. And yet we see that this Levi and this priest, now we have to guess what's going on, where they're, they're, they're going somewhere, but they're not seeing where they are. They're always going somewhere. Maybe they were going to the temple. Maybe they were going to do good and holy and religious things. But they passed by what they saw. They passed by the neighbor that was near to them. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, here's the difference. He had compassion. And some people make a lot out of this word, and, and, and maybe it's too much, I don't know, but this, this word behind compassion here isn't, isn't just a sentimental feeling. It, it, it's, a, it's a movement almost in the gut. It's, it's he saw him, but he didn't just see him with his head. It's, it's seeing people with their heart. It's the same word that's used when it says Jesus looked out on the crowds and he said they were like sheep without a shepherd. And it says he was moved with compassion. It's that the, the eyes of his, of his soul, of his being, were not just here, they were here. And so he binds up his wounds. Seeing with the heart leads to action with the hands poured oil and wine on him to, to help his wounds and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and he, and he took care of him. He spent time with him. It seems he spent the night. Because verse 35, we note it says, and the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, I'll be back. There seems to be a relational reality that this wasn't just a, a man who was a temporary service project. This wasn't just his, what, what Christmas giving am I going to give this year so that I feel good and move on. It was an investment. 
And it was a story that was told to reveal to this lawyer. Don't, don't think lawyer as, as Matlock or Perry Mason, which probably many of you don't know who those people are. But anyway, whoever a, a modern lawyer is, don't, don't think in those terms. This was the person, lawyer, who was a master of the law of God. His, his name was, I'm the person who gets God's law. And that very person had missed the main point. And he had missed it because he didn't know who his neighbor was. All of us have got to be able to answer the question of who is your neighbor. Many times we want to pick who our neighbor is and who we'll be a neighbor to. Have you ever had this happen? You see somebody walking in somewhere, workplace, home, sadly even maybe a church gathering. And they're walking this way, and now all of a sudden you're walking this way. Jesus says, who do you think proved to be a neighbor? You think, well, I, I did love people, just not that person or those people. We're the lawyer. No thank you very much on you. No thank you very much on you. Not y'all for sure. No. I'll go find somebody who I think is lovable. Somebody who makes me feel comfortable. Not somebody in a ditch. Not somebody who's going to discomfort me. Now there's others of you in here who are getting overwhelmed to the other extreme. As you hear this and you now think it's your job to be God and to love everybody the same. So there's some of you in here who are pickers and choosers of who you will love. Then there's others of you in here who are like, if, if I don't love everybody, the world's going to end. So you hear this and now all of a sudden you feel like it's your job to go out and and now just scour every ditch <laughs> in every part of the world. That's not coming from a bad place. The only problem is, is you're not God. And if you try to love everyone, then guess what? You're probably not going to end up really loving anyone. The way this Good Samaritan cares for this person, it takes time, it takes investment, it takes resources, it takes relationship. I think what Jesus is saying is that, that this, is not, this is not some sort of this really neat program that anyone can hand you. It is a spirit-led life that loves the people, not even first of all whom we are sent to, but whom God sends to us. It's a humility to say, God, with open hands, you send me whom you want me to love. Now, this is in no way undermining the Great Commission. We were called to go into the, all the nations. It's in no way to undermine our common missions as a church of missional communities where we believe that we are sent together to particular groups of people.
people for the sake of making sure that we're not just loving people who we pass by because there's some people that are, that are in the, the outer circles of our streets and we need to go to where they are. But we need to see that our common mission and our everyday mission are not enemies, but they work together. As we learn to live in love for those whom God places in our path. Who are we sent to is a great question. We have to make sure we're asking the question, who has been sent to us? There's a few spheres, I think, that can help us do this. First is, is the house or the apartment or the dorm room that you live in. If you walk away from any understanding of the great commandment and you don't realize that your roommates, your spouse, your children, and your parents are not your neighbors, and again, we've missed it. Some of us, no doubt, are walking by these people who are in the most closest proximity to us. We could dream all day long about, about knowing others, about serving others, about loving others, about learning others' stories. And there's people who are like in the room with us. And it's as if we would step over them to go and do something else. Your workplace. You might think, well, I would have never chose to work here. I, I just need some money. But God has sent you there, and He has sent people there to you. Are you the priest and the Levite who is saying, I just want to get paid and get home? Or are you seeing with your heart those whom are around you? And we're going to focus on this as we come to the end of our time today. But one big piece that's missed when we talk about loving our neighbor, so we've been so hyper-vigilant to not only de define it as the people who live closest to us, like in our streets, and our houses, we've wanted to be so careful that we said, it's not just them, it's anybody you pass by, that we forgot it is still them, though. Like God has sovereignly placed your house and your family or you as a single or you in your dorm room or suite, whatever it may be, He has placed you there. We drive by. We walk by. There may be what some people call third spaces. So if there's your domestic space, your home, there is your workplace, kind of your second space of your vocation. Then the third spaces are those spaces that you like sort of hang out at. Restaurants, coffee shops, parks, venues. Are, are, you, are you stepping into those spaces as one who seeks to love neighbor? We could say more, but it's not the the focus of our emphasis today on our common missions and our missional communities, even if in family meal, like just looking around like, who's God sent for me to love now? In Sunday gathering, do we come here to, to merely participate in some type of religious exercise of, of checking off what we did? Or, or do we gather, as, as Hebrews 10 says, the reason we gather together is to encourage one another. 
When you, when you come on a Sunday morning, is this your heart? I'm here to love my neighbor as myself. I'm here to give because there's so many people sometimes who are like, well, I'm, I'm the neighbor that's lonely. I'm Eleanor Rigby. But if you're a child of God, you are not Eleanor Rigby. You're called to go to Eleanor Rigby. We could talk about our country and our world. We could talk about the, the mission, international opportunities in, in our midst as a church. Whether it be Shepherd's Heart, more ministries, other things. There's these things that are like right around us. We need to know them. Respond to them. Who is my neighbor? My neighbor is the people that God has placed in my path. And I need to be aware of that. And I need to see them not merely with the eyes of my head, but with the compassion of my heart. Once I see them, what does loving my neighbor look like? Well, Jesus defines it very, very practically. He says, here's how you do it. You love your neighbor as yourself. Again, Jesus, a master of use of words. Two very small words that are very powerful as yourself. And no matter what anybody tells you in this world, you love yourself. Jesus is assuming this. He's not even making an argument for it. Blaise Pascal, an old philosopher, speaks of how all people desire happiness. Maybe not happiness in terms of a flittery, flittery feeling, if that's a word, flittery, but even a person who commits suicide. They're saying, I have a desire that I want to be met for myself. And this is how I want to do that. Most of us in here, if we were honest, would say, I'd like some food today. I'd like some clothing, a little shelter. You take care of yourself. I'd like somebody to love me, to know me. I'd like to belong. I'd like to be noticed. I'd like to be content. I'd like somebody to have compassion on me. I'd like someone to show mercy to me. And Jesus is saying here, all those things that you want for you, give them to others. Verse 37, on the other side of this, gives another angle that loving our neighbor is sacrificing to show mercy. You could say it this way, loving our neighbor is sacrificing to show mercy to those near in need as self. Who has God placed in my path that I'm going to sacrifice to show mercy to as myself? So in Mark 12, this is why Jesus says this is greater than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And this is worship. It's hard to get out of our words, but I, I really, really wish as a church that we, we would never say we're going to worship, or Melanie's worship leader, or whatever. 
Melanie's great at what she does. I'm not your worship leader. Now, in a sense, all leaders in our church hopefully are leading people to worship. But worship is all of life. Worship, it's not like we have the worship and then have the preaching. Worship is a whole life that is responding to the worth of God by loving Him and loving our neighbor. It's why Paul says we're to live our lives as living sacrifices, which is our spiritual worship. This is what it comes down to, Jesus is saying. These two things, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there's a second socket that you can't leave out. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. One of our children one time, we're going to get a, a pizza. And he saw a, pers- a, a homeless person, maybe for the first time he had ever seen them. And I remember his reaction, for whatever reason. And if y'all know me, it's usually not always maybe the best stories. Here's one good one. Is his reaction is, I want to take, I want to buy him one too. And so we did. What was that? That image of God was coming up to say, what I want for myself, I want to give to them too. I need it. I want it. Well, they don't have it. I want them to have it too. Now, we know as we get older and as we have more experiences, things get more nuanced. But, but let me press you here that the same principle applies to whatever nuance you want to put on that. So if you're like, that person doesn't need a pizza, that needs a, person needs a job. Well, now, how are you going to help them get a job? You want a job for yourself? Well, that person needs to learn these soft skills. Well, whatever nuance you want to put on it, the radical nature of the second command is you apply yourself to that nuance in the same way you would as if it was you. You see, love of self isn't bad in this way. Sometimes maybe we think, oh, it's bad to love ourselves. No, Jesus is saying you love yourself. He's not making a moral thing like it was bad. No, he's saying, actually, there's a way to love yourself that's good. If you don't want to be content, if you don't want to have peace, if you don't want to have food and shelter and clothing and all the basic necessities of life, if you don't want to be loved, if you don't want to belong, if you don't want to matter, that's not a sign of maturity. That's a sign of some type of disorder. It's a God-given goodness to want fulfillment of certain needs. Identity. I know who I am. I know I matter in life. It's a God-given need, a good one, to want relationships. It's a God-given creational need to to rule over the earth. That is to to have a work, to have a creativity, to have something to give yourself to. It's a good thing to want to rest. It's a good thing to want provision, protection, and covering. And above all, it is the best thing to need God. It's why the first commandment comes first, to love Him. And it's those who have rebelled against Him, to be rescued by Him, to be redeemed by Him, to be called His child, and to be under His care. 
And loving your neighbor as yourself is simply saying, I want to see other people have all those needs met too with the same energy that I pursue it for myself. With that same zeal. Man, I'm angry. I'm hangry, right? You're zealous for your stomach to get full. Love your neighbor as yourself. You're, you're zealous to do something with your life. You're zealous to have a close relationship. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you first define who your neighbor is, who are the people God sent to me and he's sending me to? It's not everyone. You've got to have limits or you'll love no one. We can't go into the weeds on that right now, but it just has to be said. But put your skin around someone else. What if they were me? Put Jesus around someone else, because Jesus said it's what you do to the least of these, my brothers, that you've done unto me. How do we break free to live this kind of love? Because if you're like me, you're like, that feels impossible. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but in your hearts. Feel, feel impossible to love other people as you love yourself? It sure does to me. Because you know what? When I hear that command, immediately what I think, that is a threat. They're going to steal from my joy. I had a really nice year planned. And now Jesus is telling me to love my neighbor as myself. This is where the gospel has to break into our lives. And it's not going to happen overnight unless God's spirit so wills and do it, Lord. But most normally, our sanctification, our growth in holiness happens gradually through many deaths. But we've got to see ourselves first, not as the person passing, but as the man in the ditch. All of us in here. It may be hard for some of us because of our blessings or whatever you want to call it, success in life. But apart from the grace of God, we, we are that person half dead in that ditch being passed by. And to up the ante a little bit, we're not just the person in the ditch, we're the priest and the Levite later on down the road in the ditch. So we're not good neighbors, not all the time. We've passed by folks, I've passed by a lot on my way to do churchily things and in the ditch. God could look at me in that ditch and say, you got what's coming to you. You passed by so many people. You turned inward. Or you turned outward to all kinds of things that weren't my things, and now you're in the ditch. Serves you right. God could do that. But this is what's so amazing about grace. Is we who deserve to be left dead in the ditch of our own idolatries, 
He sends His Son to come and get us and make us His neighbor, but not just His neighbor, but to call us friends. And to not just call us friends, but to call us children. And he, and he sees us and He binds up our wounds. And He covers them with something greater than oil and wine, but He covers them with His own blood, with His own life. And then He, and then he, he brings us home and He cares for us and says, I'm going to take care of them to the end. And I'm not going to leave them alone. I'm going to put my spirit in them to empower them to experience a relationship with me, not just where I'm cosmically present, but where I'm, I'm really, truly present, living in them, with them. And I'm going to empower them to go out and do that with some other people too. Not everybody, but some people. But the path that Jesus took in loving us as neighbor was a path that meant a cross. What Jesus likes to say to these Levites, these lawyers, these scribes, and these Pharisees, go and learn really what the Old Testament teaches. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. This is, this is the way of the kingdom. This is the way of the king. It is a life of mercy towards other people that requires us to take up our cross. It is very messy to love other people. But Jesus has sacrificed His life to now lead us in a life of sacrifice where we endure the cross for the joy sent before us. He died to cover and to free you from those idols that keep you from loving your neighbor. Whether it's control, I don't want to love my neighbor because I'm going to lose control. Whether it's approval, I don't want to love my neighbor because I'm sure at some point they'll reject me or dislike me. I'm not going to love my neighbor again because it, it messes up with my comfort. You know, I've worked hard all day. And it's just me time, all the time. Or those lies. Some of us don't love our neighbor because we think, well, nobody's going to like me. Nobody would want to be around me. My family's so crazy, we would probably run off the neighbors. Cassie and I, we've ran off some people before, literally. <laughs> True stories, like being a pastor and you try to invite people over. I've invited people over who've, who've not come back to a church <laughs> once they came to our house. True story. I don't know why I say these things out loud. Uh, it's messy. Jesus sacrificed to free us to love those in mercy. This is why the first command comes before the second. If we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then loving our neighbor is not going to be seen as a threat. It doesn't say love your neighbor instead of yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if God's enough... what can they take away? Sure, it hurts when you have somebody over and they never show up again. 
sure it hurts when you're thinking, I, I hardly got out of bed this morning. But as we lean into the way of the kingdom, it then brings us back to a deeper love of the Father. Because God's never going to run away from me when he sees what it's really like around the table at my house. God's going to be there waiting for me, like again we emphasized last week, being alone. So if you're just here this week, last week we took a whole week to say you don't need to be with other people all the time. Well, you should have received a magnet, and I'm just going to finish, finish with this. If Val didn't get you one, we have others. Uh, we have a bunch more of these, and if you want more, you can get them. So again, often this parable can lead us to missing out on our actual neighbors. And so this, we're not giving you this with any type of legalistic responsibility. But this is, a, this is in hopes to help us all. You, let me see one there, Val. Or Jason. So I want, I want you just now, you don't have a pen or marker or whatever works on writing on magnets, to just think that here's my house or my apartment, my dorm room. Could I put the names of all the people who live in the eight houses closest to me? Or apartments or dorm rooms? Or whatever you need. And I hope that makes sense. If you don't, grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit comes to us not with condemnation, but with an invitation. What I want us to consider doing is this year, 2020, is, is, is to be able to fill this out and to get to know these neighbors. For some of you, that sounds like an exciting enterprise. For others of you, it sounds scared to death, and you're thinking, I can drop that in the trash on the way out. Here's a way to proceed, out of time, of course, but this is one way you could do this. The first month, or two months, so say we're about, we're into January, so say till, till the end of March, I want to try to learn all their names. So two to three months, learn their names. You're like, well, how do I do that? That would be weird. Well, you can knock on their door and you can say, our church is doing this, if you want to. You don't have to say that. You might think that would make it more weird. Or you can say, you can bake some cookies. Or, or make a little basket or whatever. Or you can just go up and say, hey, we've lived beside each other a long time and I've never met you. <laughs> but I wanted to. Or you might say, in, a, in an emergency, I think it would be nice for us to know our neighbors. There's many, many reasons that can be genuine and authentic for why you would want to know the names of the eight people who live closest to you. And if you're like, well, I can't really do that. I have kids and it's hard taking them. That'll make it easier, probably. People, some people like kids. If you're like, I'm single and that really overwhelms me. Well, hopefully you have a fight club or a missional community. If you don't, just come to me and you, we'll help you have some people who can help you do this if you, if you feel nervous doing it by yourself. But take, take a, few a few months. If you have an animal, Take your animal. People love animals. Be creative. But how in these next first three months of this year can I learn these names? Maybe the names of everybody in there. And you're going to take this, you know, you're going to learn them and you're going to have them hanging on your refrigerator. 
and you're going to begin to pray for them. If you wanted to, the next few months, say April and May, maybe June, is you want to say, which were the ones that were easier to talk to than the others? And I want to get to know them a little bit more. Maybe we can do coffee, maybe a meal, maybe, maybe, I don't know, whatever you do. Go for a walk. And again, if you need help, again, this is where everyday mission, common mission comes together. Fight Club MC should be willing to lean in and help. Now, if you really want to get froggy, so you've made a few friends through half the year, is now plan a little block party. You don't have to call it that. Get together for these eight people. Again, don't be legalistic. It might be more. It might be a little less. But like, hey, why don't we have a cookout this summer in my backyard? People aren't super intimidated by a backyard. And if you've got close enough, and now you've got a couple other people maybe you've met that'll help you do it, whether they're believers or unbelievers. And then, at the end of the summer, you have your party. All along, you're praying for these people. You're filling in more information. And then you might say, what if we, what if we did this a couple times every year? Just got to know each other. And I could give you many more tips on that. But this is one way that we can seek to love people as Jesus loves us. I just want us to imagine, what, what would it really be like if we all did that this year? What would it be like if every Christian in Cleveland and Bradley County did that? If they knew all, the eight homes that lived around them, dorm rooms, apartments, and they were know, knew them and praying for them and pursuing a relationship to share Jesus. There is no telling what kind of doors the Lord might open up for the advance of His kingdom, for His glory. If we reorient our lives to love our neighbors. Father, thank you that you have loved us. If we doubt it, God, may we now look to the table of your Son, the bread and the cup, the ultimate picture of neighbor love. In Jesus' name, amen.